0: Welcome, everyone, to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And I just want to say happy 2023. Welcome back, everyone. We are excited to kick off this year with bringing back our first ever guest, Julie Morgenstern, who's written a number of books. She's a time management expert, written a number of books. The book we had her to talk about the first time we had her on the podcast was A Time to Parent. And it's a book I still refer back to. My wife even said the other day, how she's used some of those principles with her own staff and her district, which is pretty awesome. Um, I will just say this is someone, you know, we've had a lot of guests on. They've been phenomenal guests. I will say how Julie gives advice and the type of advice she gives is easy to receive and easy to implement. And so this conversation. You know, we get a little bit on the couch for me, meaning, you know, it's 2023. We're all kicking off New Year's resolutions and habits and ideas and plans. And I just want to dive in and get her expert advice of how to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. And so that we're all not giving up on our 2023 goals in February. And so this is a great person to start with. I love Julie. If you've not checked her out before, you should go listen to our first podcast as well as um, go read her book or books. Um, She's just an awesome guest and a really easy person to talk to. So I hope you all enjoy this. I think this is a great way to come back and start a new year. As you're listening, if you have a friend or family member that could use Julie's advice, please share this with them. And as always, if you're a subscriber, thank you. If you haven't subscribed, please hit the subscribe button so we can continue to get more of your support. So uh, thanks for making time for us. Enjoy this conversation. It was one of my favorite interviews, just to have a chance to talk with her. And I'm going to try to get her back more regularly, given uh, how enjoyable she is. All right. So, Julie, uh, it has been uh, probably a year to two years since we've talked, almost two years now, I guess, since we've talked, which is crazy to think. It is awesome to have you back. I thank you so much for making time to come back and talk to us.
1: It was my pleasure. I loved our last conversation. I'm looking forward to diving deeper this one.
0: Well, I'll just tell you and the listeners, uh, my wife wanted me to make sure that you knew. I think I told you after reading your book before we talked the first time. (laughs) my wife and I were already trying to do some things from your time to parent book, but uh, a couple of your key tidbits from the podcast, she's been using for two years now as chief of staff for her school district, and it's helped her be a phenomenally better leader, which is not mm-hmm. what you intended the writing it for, but I just she wanted me to make sure that uh, I told you that. So we thank you very much.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. So we, have, uh, we should
1: do an interview with her.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we could. She, she's, she's definitely the all-star of our house. So um, you know, first question that we ask everybody now is, who are you and what do you love about what you do?
1: Well, I'm Julie Morgan Stern, as you know, and I am a time management and organizing expert. And I work with individuals and companies around the world to basically help people tame the chaos in their lives so that they are really free to make their unique contribution. And what I do love about what I do is even 30 years into this, every client is so unique and has such, we all have such big goals and great intentions and systems can either support us or block us from doing what we wanna do and being the person that we wanna be. And it is so fulfilling to work with people and help them achieve their big dreams
0: one of the things that, so we, we always ask people, you know, we'll ask you at the end of this podcast, you know, what's a f- favorite book of yours or books that you've read recently made a big impact. And one of the things that you talk about in your book, in a, a book that often comes up, that's a different topic, but talks about the power of systems is atomic habits. And they say, you know, just like you say, you've got to have strong systems as you coach people, what do you see as the biggest challenges or barriers that people have to creating systems of effectiveness for themselves
1: i actually think there's a couple a couple things that get in the way so f- first of all i don't think people put enough support around the new habits that they're trying to create we have this false expectation that like and self judgment like oh i should just get up earlier oh i should just go exercise oh i should just plan my day better i should you know and I think there's too much judgment of ourselves to actually problem solve correctly. Hmm. I I really believe it's usually a combination of mindset and mechanics that actually unlock um, whatever is keeping us from building new habits. So one is the mindset, which is, this is not a judgment on me. There's something wrong with my systems. And then what is it? So. If I'm not getting up early and I'm swearing I'm going to get up early every day and exercise, study yourself and ask yourself, what got in the way? Hmm. Oh, I stayed up too late on scrolling on my phone. Tomorrow night, I'm not going to do that. Then you make that new um, plan. And then you still stay up too late and you're scrolling on your phone and say, why did I do that? Work backwards and say... Because I was so busy taking care of everybody else all day at work and then with the family that that was the only me time I was giving myself was after everyone went to sleep. Oh, how do you solve that? Give yourself a little bit of me time earlier in the day so sleep is not your only form of self-care. Do you see how I worked backwards from a single goal? Yes. And to me, the best book on habits, which... I was planning to talk about later, but I'll bring it up now since we're there, is a book, it's a tiny little book called Small Move, Big Change, by a woman named Caroline Arnold, who was a Wall Street, high powered, high achieving person who kept making resolutions for like 10 years and not keeping them. And she she broke through and what she discovered is that when we wanna change anything, truly only focus on one or two habits maximum at a time and make and because every habit is really a cluster of habits Mm. and so if it's i want to wake up early and exercise that's all you need to focus on and then as you hit the obstacles to that you see what habits are attached to that that prevent you from doing that working backwards so That's why we should all all only take on one or two habits at a time because you'll actually get to the rest of the habits that are connected. And that's how you rewire yourself. So getting back to your big question, which is what's the thing that gets in the way? I think we underestimate the consciousness and the sustained attention uh, that we need to rebuild new habits. We just think, oh, I'm going to flip a switch. and I'm just going to get up early. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I'm such a loser. I must have a fear of success. No, you don't. You need to really surround that habit with a lot of support and attention and be a scientist. And then you can actually build new habits.
0: Yeah. One one thing that I I probably haven't thanked you enough for that I think is just so naturally you is most people that are in the. Uh, time management space. I I believe they don't mean to, but give an air of like they've got this together. And so when I read their materials or I listen to their podcasts, I am already terrible at self talk, so I already feel like a failure. Then I realize there's no grace for like messing up. You from the moment you talked about how you got to be a time management expert, talk about your struggles that led you into it, which is so refreshing because you can just remind the audience how you got here, so everybody knows how. Uh, wonderful of a human you are in terms of you know you didn't just walk in saying I'm a time management expert this is something you grew into and helped develop over time
1: yeah yeah for sure I mean I definitely grew up a very notoriously disorganized person Um, and I you know we've talked about this before but like physically I like lived out of piles I was super right brain creative person I was in the theater every single object that I ever came across I collected because it was the potential to inspire a character or a scene or a script or a piece of writing. And I was always in chaos and always late and always unprepared. And I always pulled it off. I always pulled it off because despite my chaos, I had like enough smarts and enough something to like pull it off. But the stress... And the cost of getting there in that way really stole from my self-confidence. It stole from my ability to ever relax. Like, you know, when you always feel like behind. And when my daughter was born, I realized very quickly that I may not mind being a conquistador of chaos, but I cannot impose this on an innocent young child, Mm. that we're always going to be late for school. And we're always going to be like running, 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 like kids operated a different pace. I didn't want to sweep her into that chaos. Like I I needed to slow down the pace of the child, not have my child speed up to my crazy pace. And so I started to get organized really as a service to being a better parent. Not because I I like pulled it off. Yeah, it was stressful, but I was always like, you know, in my cape coming to the rescue in every situation. And I just just started to get organized really to become a better parent, to feel more prepared for spontaneity, to have more grace in the day. And as I did that, I just started learning the power of organization. That it's not constricting, it's liberating. I really always thought it was constricting. I was like, my, I, my aunt, who lived across the street from us when I was young, was super organized and she had a label maker, one of those Dymo label makers, my aunt, Elma. Everything was labeled, everything was in a Ziploc bag, everything was in a container. And I used to think, isn't there more to life than labeling baggies? Like, I'm out there living. But I eventually came to see the freedom that came with what my anthema was doing. and and that's how I got where I got.
0: Actually, I have a I don't I don't mean to make this a self-diagnosing podcast, but I had lunch with a, a friend yesterday. We talked about two things that I would love your your help on. One is your advice earlier about taking one habit or two habits when we're talking to a lot of folks that are listening are aspiring leaders or current leaders, and they've always been good, at at least uh, tried or had to multitask and take on a lot of tasks at a time. And so it it seems like when you're saying, you know, Dustin, take on one habit or two habits. And and I'm looking at you thinking, I've got about 30 things that I have to fix about myself right now. If I do one or two, I'll be 90 before I actually get my stuff together. What is your feedback to me or others who push back on you with that?
1: Yeah, no, I you you if you try to take on 90 things at once, you're gonna ach- start many things, finish none. And it's too much. I mean, you are where you are and every person who's listening is where they are because they actually have a lot of great skills. Right. And high achievers tend to have the mindset of like, what am I doing wrong? Not what am I doing right? We don't celebrate our successes. We don't recognize our capabilities. We're strivers, that's what striving is. But if you try to do everything at once, you're gonna get nowhere. And I, I would, and what I say to every client is, you know, kind of ask yourself two questions to start, to try to get under the hood of like, where should I start this? And I just ask you to ask two questions of yourself. One is, what am I spending too much time on? Just answer that question. Too much time on emails, too much time in meetings, too much time on my cell phone, too much time watching television, too much time um, procrastinating. Just pick the thing you're spending too much time on concretely. And the second question is, what am I not spending enough time on? The answer to that might be, I'm not spending enough time on self-care. I'm not spending enough time developing my team. I'm not spending enough time on learning and knowledge, right? So if you can just answer those questions, what's the one thing too much? What's the one thing not enough? That's where you should start changing. What habits can you build to reduce the time you're spending on a thing that is monopolizing your attention at the expense of everything else? and that's the habits that you need. Like build the habit, build the skill, build the knowledge. I have to be learn how to like run a more efficient meeting, for example. That's all you need to focus on. Yep. And then what am I not spending enough time on? Not enough time on self-care. Then build a habit that builds that in. It's so concrete and measurable, and it's going to show up in your calendar, and it's going to show up on your days. And just focusing on those two things, I promise you, every other habit is connected to those of your list of 90. Almost every one. I I love that. I think,
0: uh, as you said, you know, are you spending enough time on learning some of the best leaders, you know, executives, CEOs of massive companies uh, that have been mentors in my life have always told me one of the things that they really spent time on. You you said another one, which was uh, making sure you're developing your folks, but they would spend, you know, one person would take a day a month. And block it off to read, learn, focus on the industry that they were in. What's your encouragement for leaders to spend time on learning? Why should that be a priority? And how do you encourage folks to find that time or make that time in their schedule?
1: It's a great question. And it's fun to jump into this one. So I agree that everybody sort of leaders strive for learning. How do we create the time? So the first thing that you want to do is Ask yourself, what's the right unit of time for the way you like to learn best? So some people taking a whole day, sure. Other people like, if I had a whole day for learning, I would be climbing out of my chair. Like I can't sit still that long. I, don't, I can't read for eight hours. I can't listen and absorb that much information. So know and ask yourself, what is the most efficient and effective way for me to learn? Some people it's reading, some people it's auditory, some people it's talking to others. Mm. So know yourself. What's my most efficient way and best way of learning? How big a unit of time do I need for that? Is it an hour a day, a half hour a day, a day a month, Uh, a, a, a week every quarter where I go to a conference or a retreat and I just absorb? So that's one. It's It's knowing yourself. And the second thing that I've been saying more and more and more and more lately in my coaching sessions with executives who have this challenge, when you show up for your learning, only look for the information that you don't already know. Mm. When you're reading through, let's say you wanna read books or you wanna read articles or you wanna stay on top of the industry knowledge or whatever and you're collecting all these articles, when you sit down to read a 30-page report, you don't need to burden yourself with taking notes on all 30 pages. Read for what you don't know. That's probably 10, 15, 20% of what is in that report. Mm-hmm. And that is efficient. I just worked with a client a couple of weeks ago, high-powered executive, and she just never sat down to do her knowledge time and in her, in her knowledge time And that was the unlock. I was like, you don't have to read that 25 page thing. How much of that do you already know? It just confirms what you already know. 80% of it. So Hmm. only read for what you don't know and then have a great note-taking system where you are collecting. It's like your own little school of business, your own little school of management, your own little school of being a good human in the world and have like one document or one notebook or, you know, where you just capture what you didn't already know. Because what you know, why why do you have to write that down? You already know it.
0: I, I had no idea. I mean, you saw the, the pre-show notes that we're about to go. We're about to scrap all of these, because I'm so fascinated. And, and this is the first conversation that we're having within our new year of 2023. And so many people you know, are, are folks that are setting goals for the year. And so this is all really relevant uh, to us. When yeah. you say like a note-taking system, an organization system, as folks are trying to think how they're attacking this year, do you have a particular system that you recommend? Do you have a particular type of notebook system or note-taking system you recommend? Or do you just try to give a lot of flexibility to find what works for Dustin or what works for Julie?
1: Yeah, I do think it really varies by person. So I can't give you one perfect answer, but I can give you some questions to ask yourself to find the right system for you. So one of them is you wanna think about retrieval. When I go looking for information, where am I gonna look for it? Is it in a paper little notebook that's always in my bag? It's always in my back pocket. It's my little, my little personal Dustin manual to life. And I only, I read and read and read and anything that I have never thought of, I put in there and it's, it, it's on my person. And I can keep track of that because I am a paper to pen person, I like to write I don't want to have to go searching on the computer. This is my personal guide to life that I'm collecting the wisdom that I want at my fingertips before a meeting before getting on a plane before whatever so I I a paper to pen person and then it's a dedicated book am I a digital? I want, I'm reading everything online. I want to capture it online. And I may be in, you know, uh, like it's like a a document in the drive, in the cloud that I can access from anywhere. And it can just be a Google doc. It doesn't, if you're on Google, it could be a Google doc. You don't need anything fancy, but you need one document that has the title that resonates for you. Life's, life's wisdom management wisdom you know 501 whatever you want to call it and then you read you copy and you paste you could also do it on like your notes app on your iphone if you have an iphone but not everybody has iphone but if you have a notes app if you want it where you just have access to it it's all think about retrieval what is do i you know if you have it in a paper but you are forgetful and you never keep something with you Make it digital and in the cloud, <laughs> never on your desktop, never like on your personal it. The cloud computer. was made
0: for me, I think. I think yeah. uh, what's interesting, though, is that, you know, I've got m- my wife who, um, again, chief of staff, you have to assume that person's incredibly organized, which she is, uh, and she has you know, a paper planner system that she loves, and I've tried, and it just doesn't work with my head. And so to your point, the the best thing that we can be doing is asking ourselves better questions to develop the systems that work for us so that we can get better results
1: for ourselves, right? That's exactly right. So am I a digital or tactile person? A digital person is you. Tact Visual tactile is your wife. Your wife operates better writing things down. She knows where on a page she wrote something that's like six pages back in the upper right corner in greening, I know where that is. That is a visual tactile person. Yep. Am I a digital linear person, which is just like, I am on a computer. I can do searches. It's not relational. It's just like, I have a keyword and I want to look something up that's digital. And what, where do I want to access it from? From how many places? Is it always at my desk? Or do I want to be on the road anywhere accessing it? If so, a digital person has one doc, one document. Don't make it complicated. You don't have to sub-categorize. You can search within a document, right? Yep. Or I am, I like your wife wants a, she's a paper planner. She could use a little paper notebook if she wants. But the last thing I would say to everybody is make sure when it comes to learning, you capture it in one place and don't embed it inside another thing. So a lot of times we take notes in meetings and then out of those meetings, there's to-dos that come out of those meetings or lessons that come out of those meetings. If those to-dos and lessons stay embedded in your meeting notes, you're never gonna retrieve them. You're like, what meeting? How many pages? Where is it? So extract for retrieval purposes. To-dos should come out of your meeting notes and immediately go in your calendar. Mm. What's the to-do? When am I going to do it? Put it in your calendar and leaves your meeting notes and, and gets transferred. And lessons or knowledge should go into your knowledge notebook. And then when you go to retrieve, it's like, I heard a piece of knowledge in that meeting from that person, who was it? And then you can go retrieve it. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. I think uh, this is somewhat related. I, I think as I ask myself questions, right? So we were talking about my wife, you know, is probably more of a hard copy person. I would more be more digital. I'm trying to figure out how do we make sure that we're not creating excuses in our answers to ourselves if we're asking questions? Here's an example. I know I need to build better systems for certain parts of my life for just to create greater predictability results and accountability, right? But I am the type of person who, when I get in a car and I listen to music, I always put it on random. I've done it for as long as I can remember. So this, if it's a CD back in the day, I always put it on random. Now that I have playlists, I always put it on random. My wife jokes at me when she goes to Tallahassee, Florida with me. She can't ever figure out how to get around because I always take a different way out of the house and back to the house. And I still do that here. I don't need you to self diagnose me, but I'm trying to figure out like one of the answers I could give myself would be like, yeah, you know, Julie, that's great. I know I need systems, but I'm really just more of like a random person. I want to have like less predictability in my life or, you know, uh, uh, I I don't know what it is. So I'm trying to figure out how do we hold ourselves accountable to not making excuses, knowing like there are best practices for people who are going to be the highest, most effective people.
1: So it's a great question, Dustin. And here's what I would say: You do, based on what you said, are stimulated by uh, spontaneity, randomness. It's a, it's the way your brain works, which is great. And so, um, it's what keeps you engaged. It probably sparks creativity. It probably, you know, it keeps things engaging and from being monotonous or mundane, and keeps you conscious. Right. Right. It's highly engaging what you just described. What I would say is there are some anchor predictable habits in these areas where you need some focus. Just pick like precision surgery. I, you know, it's like this combination of predictable and spontaneous rather than an all spontaneous life. All spont- spontaneous life really wastes a lot of time on certain things. But not everything has to be creative and spontaneous. A couple things can be predictable to take the decision-making, the burden of thought out. Mm. And these things I predecide and I always do the same way, which frees up all the rest of my time and brain for thinking the big thoughts. And I'll give you an example. I used to, this is a lot from a long time ago, uh, but I was very similar when it came to like food. And I'm like, I don't know, what am I in the mood for? I could never plan my meals in advance. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to feel like eating tomorrow, like all that organization around that. And whenever I go to a restaurant, it would take me a long time to choose what to eat. I don't know. And it was like, it was a whole experience I was trying to create. And I don't know, is it? meat is a fish is it this I don't know is it spicy blah 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 it would take forever and it used to I used to get teased about it when I was little when I was in, you know grown up and in business I still had that relationship to like creating spirits out of every meal and I would go to these business lunches and all of a sudden I'm like oh god I can't take forever to figure out what to eat you know, all these business people go around, they were like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And I'm like, I don't know what I want. So I just made a rule that I always get like a salad with a grilled chicken breast on top, done and dusted. Because in that circumstance, I needed to be present for networking, for business Mm. conversations, for learning and engagement with people. And I could just pre-decide, it didn't matter. I always get the salad with the chicken breast. And that was a big flip for me. It enabled me to be super spontaneous at that lunch. So think about what parts of your life you can, it doesn't need to be so creative. It just needs to be done and dusted to free up your brain power and your focus for spontaneity and engagement in what is really important, really valuable to you. I
0: love that. That's a great example. Cause I, I can imagine the number of times, again, I was networking with a good friend of mine who is a leadership consultant and just a really cool person. And we probably spent 20 minutes looking at the menu, thinking about what we're going to have versus like throwing that aside and just diving in with each other.
1: Exactly. And so when you think about in your life, And everybody listening, like it's the beginning of the year. And like, what, what am I spending too much time on? What, not enough. What do I want to fix? Where do I need systems? You need systems on the things that are taking you way longer than you feel are worth it. That are stealing time from other things. Create a system around those, right? Exercise. I don't know every day. I don't know what I'm going to do. What kind of exercise? Maybe I feel like this today. Maybe feel like that. And therefore I don't do anything maybe you take all the decision-making out of exercise and don't get fancy. And you do like a 12 minute, you know, high intensity interval training workout from your laptop every morning. First thing you do when you get out of bed, whether you feel like it or not, you don't search for a program. You don't try to come up with something creative. This is what I do done. Dusted. Now let me get on with my day. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, I I love it. So I have a couple of questions about uh, parenting that I think fall into this. Uh, For those of mine who watch, I have a picture of my three boys, Luke, who's eight, Noah, who's six, and James, who's two uh, behind me. And I I don't want to give away uh, the lesson. I'll let you kind of do it justice. But learning about the amount of undivided attention I need to give to each kid, depending on their age, like the amount of time for each kid has been a game changer for me and my relationships with them. And I really, I mean, Julie, I, I can't tell you, I mean, I probably sound crazy telling you how like the things that little things that you gave me two years ago have made a huge difference in my life. My relationships have continued to blossom with them because I've had the discipline. So can you talk a little bit about what you learned about the brain research at the time that parents need to spend with their children of undivided yeah, yeah and i'm
1: so happy to hear that it's stuck and that not only has the advice stuck but you have experienced the enriching of your relationships the connection Absolutely. it's so powerful and that is so wonderful for everybody here so here's here's the 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 question the answer and like what we do parents like the big mystery in life is how much time and attention do kids need to feel loved and secure. Every parent wants their kid to feel loved and secure. And every parent has always been like, well, how much time is that? I never can give them enough time. And so I, when I was writing my book, Time to Parent, which was uh, intended to be the first manual to advise parents how to allocate your time as a grown up with between kids and a job and a relationship and your health and how how are we supposed to do it? And I needed the answer to that question. We all did. And I dove deep into the research studies, talking to experts around the globe, you know, head of the American Academy of Pediatrics. From every angle, I asked that question. And what I discovered was that what children thrive on is short bursts of truly undivided attention from us, the caregivers in their life, short bursts of like 5 to 15 or 20 minutes at a time maximum delivered consistently, not big blocks of time delivered occasionally. Short bursts consistently, not why short bursts? Short burst because kids have short attention spans and many experts say to calculate about a minute for each age of life. So one-year-old has like one minute attention span and they're off to the next shiny object. A five-year-old, five minutes. A 15-year-old, 15, 15 minutes. Deep one-on-one conversation if you're lucky, right? So, <laughs> and consistently means folded into the fabric of the day, not adding time not adding time, changing the nature of the time you're already spending with your kids. So that first moments count when they first wake up, take the first one, three, five, seven minutes to like look in your kid's eyes, enter the world, wake them up, how did you sleep? What did you dream about? What's on your plate today? What are you excited about? When you reunite it's sort of these five anchor points in the day that you can start with where When the kids wake up, when you separate in the morning, when you reunite at the end of the day, whatever time that is, dinner and bedtime. Five key anchors in the day. And let the first moments be the moments of connection, not the last moments. It's not like, hurry up, get dressed, and if we're all dressed and ready before we leave the house, we can have some quality time. No. First moments. Then get to the business of life. And the real key is undivided attention, which is sounds so simple, but it's not like when you realize you're like, oh my God, I'm always half focused on my phone or I'm cooking and talking to my kid or I'm working and I'm looking you know, back and forth. It's truly undivided attention.
0: I was going to ask in terms of, uh, so undivided attention has helped me, right? The short burst has helped me. The other one that rocked my world at that time was kid world versus adult world. I would always think when I'm like, hanging out with Luke and I'm giving him advice that I am giving him undivided attention and you help shatter that for me. And so I have learned, I've always had it in me, but with my kids, I feel like I got to be coaching or teaching or giving a lesson yeah. as opposed to playing. So can you just dive into that for our folks again?
1: Yeah. So I have kind of come up with this grid, like a, a four by two by two, like grid, uh matrix of the four types of time that parents have to devote to raising happy, healthy kids. They have to provide for their kids. And here, P-A-R-T, everybody, doing your part for another person, right? P is provide. That means we have to work to make and manage money, take care of our kids. We have to A, arrange the logistics of their kid's life. What are they wearing? What are we having for breakfast? What are they having for lunch? Where do they go to school? Who's making the doctor's appointments? All the care and feeding takes in a massive amount of time. Then the R is relate to our kids, get to know each kid for the unique individual they are. And T is teach. We have to spend time teaching our kids life skills and habits and values so that they can succeed in the world. P-A-R-T. We have to balance between all four types of time. But some of those types of time are visible to our kids and some are invisible. Some take place in the adult world. Some take place in child's world. I, you know, we're listening in a podcast, but if everybody can picture a, you know, two by two, um, I think the easier thing is just to recognize that they're provide and arrange. Provide takes place in the adult world and is largely invisible to your kids. They don't see the time you're working. You're away, yep. but you're giving to your kids. We know that, but they don't see it, so don't feel it. Arranging takes place in your child's world because if there's no breakfast or no dinner or the clothes, haven't gotten laundered or you didn't get them to the doctor, they're gonna feel it. But the time it takes is invisible. Mm. The only two types of time that are visible to kids are relate and teach. But relate and teach are very different. And we very, as parents always different. combine <laughs> them as one love. So teaching, And relate are different in this way when we are teaching kids we are bringing them into the adult world and they are the students of us that is an act of love and something we should do but relating to our kids we need to enter our child's world and become the student of the child look at the world through their eyes. So they want to play the same game over and over again. We're like, this is really boring. I don't want to do it. But if you go through, not for your own enjoyment, but you're like, what is it about this game that is challenging my child, interesting to my child? It's like you become a student of your child. It's fascinating. Mm. And they feel seen, heard, and loved, as all of us would. You can translate that all the way into being adults. When you're trying to teach a class or you have to enter their world. You can't just lecture people. They're like, you don't even understand my world. How, how are you going to teach me?
0: So I, I know you are, are very humble and you, you talk about how, you know, you're not an educator. So you're not trying to speak and tell teachers or principals that you know how to do their job better than they do. However, after, you know, I, I've bought your book for a few different folks. I have told as many people as possible to get it, even if they're not parents. And this bit of advice right here If I were still in my classroom, I would try to incorporate in every lesson of how do I have time to be in my kids' world so that I can learn, live, and kind of grow with them? Is that something that you have heard before? Is that something that like just uh, doing your best, thinking about a classroom environment, is that a good mindset to try to have as you're trying to grow a classroom?
1: Yeah, 100%. And I've had many teachers say this relate-teach difference is a game changer for me. That I know in order to reach my kids, even all kids in the classroom, from the difficult ones to the ones that are great students, all of that, if I want to teach them, I have to get to know them first. I have to relate to them. How are they going to listen to me if everything is just teach, teach, teach? So I've had many teachers um, say that's been a game changer for them. And, and it, it actually you think in a way that it might take more time, but it actually takes less because if you relate before you teach, people will follow you. If you go to teach before relate, you get walls up. And I wanna tell you a really uh, relevant story in the world of education about this. And I wrote about this man in my book. When I was in sixth grade, I elementary school, I went to a school called Greenfield in Philadelphia, and I had just moved into Center City at, and started sixth grade in a brand new school in a brand new neighborhood, didn't know anybody. And I was really intimidated. You can imagine going to a brand new school at the age of 10, right? When you're usually, and I still remember to this day that I walked into that school and standing at the top of the stairs was Mr. Brown, the principal. And he said, Julie Stern, welcome to Greenfield. And that man saw me and knew me and welcomed me. And he was the kind of principal that knew every single student's name, their siblings' names, their parents' names. He knew who you were. And about 12 years ago or so, I never forgot Mr. Brown. I would say that he actually his, I guess, validation of recognizing who I was gave me a sense. It guided me my whole life. My whole life. It was like I felt seen and known. And about 10 or 12 years ago, we somebody discovered Mr. Brown on Facebook. <laughs> and within like two weeks, students from all over the country and all over the world gathered on, befriended Mr. Brown, who's then in his 80s and said they had the same exact experience. It was game-changing for every student who ever went to Greenfield for about as many years as he was principal, everybody. he, and he still remembered all of our parents' and siblings' names. And he was 80. Wow. That's the lesson of t- relate first, teach second. And um, he's an amazing man. He was an amazing educator.
0: I love it. So before we get to the last rapid fire questions, I do want to ask a question that I didn't spend much time on in our last interview, which is uh, how to deal with curveballs, right? The pandemic brought us a major curveball, obviously, and reset our life. And so day-to-day life is already stressful. Then the pandemic comes in and just wrecks everybody's norm. Since then, you know, there's been all sorts of curveballs off of that. And so You know, 2023 is going to bring its own curveballs. Every day brings its own curveballs. And so, a question I have for you is as our listeners set their goals, right? Hopefully, to go after one or two habits, you know, they're going to experience success and failures, but they're really going to experience some sort of curveball. It's really going to throw them off track. What's your advice for people to be able to handle and do their best to stay on track when they're throwing curveballs? Yeah,
1: it's a great, great question. Um, I think that we all need to get to know each other. This is one of the biggest lessons coming out of the last two and a half years is get to know yourself really well. And also then ultimately your family, your, each of your kids, your spouse, and even each of your employees, if you are managing a team and what are the one or two anchors, anchor habits that grounds you every day and give you strength and hold on to those no matter what, when curve balls hit, always hold on to those. Um, I don't know that I. we talked about this story last time, but I'm gonna give you an example of that. I was starting to coach, a, uh, right in January of 2020, I started to coach a newly appointed CEO of one of New York City's largest hospital systems. And he hired me because he had been promoted from chief operating officer. And as chief operating officer, he had mastered that job. And he had a really good work-life balance. His family life was so important to him. His health was so important to him. His hobbies and passions were so important to him. And he had such a good balance, but when he got this new job, his fear was the new job was gonna disrupt all of those habits and that lovely balance that he had achieved. So he hired me to coach him into his new role in his first 90 days. And we worked together in starting in January 2020 and we organized his workday and his team. And then he had his two and a half hour morning personal routine and his evening routine with his family and his weekends, all of that, had it all nice and neat. And then COVID hit. New York City, March 13, 2020. And everything got thrown up in the air, as you can imagine. He's the CEO of a hospital at the epicenter of COVID. And to his credit, he kept coming to his time management coaching sessions. And we started to pivot. And you would think that the first thing that we would have tossed was all that self-care time. And just focus on how you're going to get through the crisis. But we did not. We shrunk. We kept him with two daily anchors. We shrunk his two and a half hour morning routine down to a 30 minute workout every morning at 6 a.m. No matter what the day had brought or was to bring. And at 8 p.m. every night he stopped. No matter what was going on, he went into his newly organized home office. We had organized. (laughs) Thank God the timing couldn't have been better. And his passion was music. And he had an incredible sound system in his office and a beautiful leather chair. And every night at eight o'clock, he would sit and listen to music for anywhere up to 20 minutes. And he kept those two daily anchors throughout COVID. And he swears that having those two daily anchors kept giving him twice a day to step out of the chaos Get recentered centered and come back and make smart decisions, guiding 50,000 people through the worst healthcare crisis in a hundred years. So if, and that's the lesson, which is know what grounds you personally, and even in your work life, a couple of small habits that center you, and then you can handle those curveballs. but never throw it all up in the air because then you have nothing to, to stay centered.
0: Yep. I love the anchor uh, analogy. All right. So I know we've, we've got a limited amount of time. I promise you I, w- I would get done on time. So I will get there. The questions that I've been excited to ask you, which we did not ask you the first time, are the rapid fire questions. And so I'm really curious to see what your answers are. So the first question is what's a habit or discipline that you utilize on a regular basis, whether it's daily or weekly, that helps you become the best version of yourself?
1: The number one habit is that I end every single day taking 15 to 20 minutes to look at tomorrow, plus two days beyond that plan tomorrow plus two I go into every day prepared mentally it enables me to shut my work day off, knowing I know what's coming, I can now tie today in a bow and go relax. And I'm able to always go into every day prepared and even see in advance, like if I'm looking three days out, why am I still doing that meeting? Things have changed. I don't need to attend that. And so I can trim my schedule to stay current with all of the dynamic changes that come with any day in work life and always be focused on highest priorities and go in prepared. It's a, it keeps me focused on highest priorities. And keeps me from getting thrown off track by wild things that really don't need immediate attention.
0: Yeah. How long have you had? I like the tomorrow plus two. How long have you had the tomorrow plus two? I really like that.
1: I, I would say I've been doing tomorrow plus two for 20 something years.
0: <laughs> All right. It's yeah. it's
1: a, it's my base habit.
0: That's great. All right, so uh, I'm, I get so curious. I get off get us off track on rapid fire. So you may have already answered this, but feel free to add to it if you want. What's a book or books that you have read that you think other people really need to check out?
1: Okay, we already talked about one. Small Move, Big Change by Caroline Arnold. Highly recommended. Brilliant. Best book on habits I've ever read. Mm. And the other book that I would recommend is a book called The Power of Rest by a guy named Dr. Matthew Edland. Also a tiny little book that is the most brilliant book I have ever read and practical on how to fit in our need for small bursts of rest and how to build them in to always come and show up with like peak energy and brain power for everything that you do. Power book, power of rest.
0: That's great. So a a song of uh, a question I've asked everybody, which is more of just a playlist, what's on your playlist. My eight-year-old son has encouraged me to amend that for a future. And so 2023, we're going to start it. Here, here's what it is. Uh, we love baseball here in St. Louis. And so baseball players have walk-up songs to help motivate them and get them focused. So I'm curious, if you had a walk-up song, what song would you choose? What, what song sets your day or your intention? What's something
1: that's uh, a go-to for you? Okay. I, happy by Pharrell. It is just upbeat, energetic, and the goal in life. All of this is just to be happy and have a really happy, bouncy, fully engaged life.
0: I love that one. That's a go-to in our house too. Um, All right. uh, Last question, and we'll let you go. What's the best piece of leadership advice that you've come across recently? It could be change advice, whatever it is from uh, from your lens that you just can't get off your brain and you want other people to know and think about.
1: Yeah. I think we actually covered that too, which is to remember that every habit is really a cluster of habits. And if you keep that in mind and focus on one habit, you will be able to really rewire yourself to really create the, the days that are fulfilling to you. Mm. It's a, it's a power tool cluster of habits.
0: That's great. Well, Julie, uh, for those people who are listening to you for maybe the first time or hopefully the second time, how can they learn more about you? I mean, hopefully there's folks out there that are listening that are saying, I need to hire Julie right now to come and help me and my team get it together, but how can they find out more about you?
1: Sure. Come to my website. There's, you know, the easiest way is come to the website, which is juliemorganstern.com, and you can see all kinds of information and resources and my philosophy of time, leadership, et cetera, the books, and the others to just come link to LinkedIn. I am active on LinkedIn. I read the messages. I, it's a very accessible way to reach me. Um, and that's Julie Morgenstern on LinkedIn.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, um, again, I don't mean to keep showering you with praise, but, uh, you definitely specifically your advice, but also the, your demeanor, right. We can read a lot of good books. So we don't get to know the authors, but the humility in which you share, the grace in which you share uh, with others is just inspiring. And I just want you to know, you have changed my life for the better. And the three kids you see behind me, my wife, who's not in the room right now, um, you have definitely made our personal and professional lives better. And so I just can't thank you enough for that. And I don't know another way to give you a bigger compliment than just saying thank you for
1: impacting most important parts of my life. I'm so very happy to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. just keep on keeping on. It's great. You have three beautiful boys. That is for sure. I see them above your head. So I'm really glad. Well, uh,
0: if you'll, if you'll have us, we're just going to continue to have Julie's corner at some point. Again, I know that you're really busy, but uh, I'll I'll keep you a comfortable lane and we'll just continue to seek your advice and
1: wisdom. I'd love to do, I would love to do that.
0: All right, Julie, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcasts on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful messy work of shaping human
1: potential.